though only four in the afternoon. It was already dusk outside, and the wind was blowing hard enough to set the quad's trees in motion, the nearest branches scratching insistently on the window of Janet Moore's office. Was it the turbulence outside that had invited the horseman to gallop into her consciousness? Or the silence of the sullen boy sitting across from her? The lines were from a children's poem, the one Robbie read to Marcus, their son, every night before he went to sleep. And they haunted her with the force of a childhood memory, even though she'd never heard the poem until just over a decade ago as a grad student. Now it kept her up long after Robbie had come in and fallen asleep beside her, all night long in the dark and wet. And sometimes she'd wake in the middle of the night with the verses still echoing. Had they been some sort of dream, repeating on an endless loop? Lately the horseman had appeared in her daylight thoughts as well. When jogging in the woods behind the college, she'd realize she was running to that unwelcome, unforgiving iambic cadence whenever the moon and stars are set, as if she were a horse herself. And then, when it suddenly seemed like she was clomping not through the woods, but an endless cemetery, there came an even more familiar heartsickness. A moment before, she had been feeling both angry and self-righteous, easy, unambiguous emotions that in these circumstances she was entitled to. It angered her, and rightly so, that students were more likely to cheat in her classes than in those of her male colleagues, or to be tardier, to openly question her authority, to give her mediocre evaluations at the end of the term. Worse still, that they held her to a higher standard was actually unwitting. Had anyone asked if they were prejudiced against female professors, not one would answer yes. Hook them up to a lie detector and every last one would pass. This probably included James Cox, seated before her now, sockless boat shoe balanced on khakied knee, still smug, even though the fact that she had him dead to rights was beginning to dawn on him. He was studying, or pretending to, the two typed pages she'd given him, one with his own name in the upper right-hand corner, and another that had been handed in to her four years earlier, with feigned astonishment, as if the similarities between them were just the damnedest thing, amazing, really, like frogs, thousands of them falling out of a cloudless sky. Next door, she heard Tony Hope, her best friend in the department, bang his office door shut behind him. Earlier she'd told him about this plagiarism case she had to deal with, and he'd offered to loiter outside just in case. These days all teachers were vulnerable. Cornered, Female students would sometimes accuse male professors of making sexual advances, while similarly cornered males could act belligerently with female teachers. But James Cox had arrived late, no surprise, and Tony had already agreed to meet a couple of his seniors at the Hub Pub. When he paused, eyebrows arched in her half-open doorway, she gestured that everything was fine and it was okay for him to leave. Probably it was. 
Tony shrugged, and then, before she could look away, did the jockey thing that always gave her a shiver. At the beginning of the term, she'd made the mistake of telling him about the horseman, how Marcus refused to go to sleep until Robbie had read him the poem, and that afterward Robbie, unaware how deeply those lines weirded her out, would appear in their bedroom looking forlorn and hoping for sex. At times he even pretended to be the horseman of the poem, straddling her on the bed, reciting melodramatically, Whenever the moon and stars are set. That was about as far as he'd get before she hissed, Stop it! Not wanting him to wake Marcus up, but also genuinely furious that he couldn't see how creepy this scenario was as foreplay. As good as it had felt to tell someone, Tony Hope had been the wrong person to confide in. She might have predicted he'd turn it into a joke. And the very next afternoon, emerging into the quad after class, she heard her name shouted, and there was Tony bestride the library steps, in a jockey stance, bent knees together, hands out in front, gripping invisible reins, his butt lowering and rising rhythmically. Over the course of the semester, this act had become a flexible metaphor, that it was time to saddle up and teach another class, or to grab some lunch at the Union, or, as it did now, to lock up and head on out. See ya in the morning, sweetheart. When she heard the double doors at the end of the corridor clang shut, Janet turned back to her student, whose demeanor had changed dramatically. The feigned astonishment had evaporated.